Hey, what's up, Franco fans? It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, of Desperate Visions Productions, and a fellow Franco fan. I am here to bring you episode 57, film 57, Tender and Perverse Emmanuel. But before I get to introducing the film and giving you all the reviews and years and shooting details and all that, I uh, wanted to speak to you ahead of that. Um, as this episode I'm recording earlier, but will drop on October 13th, which is your host's birthday. And as uh, when this episode drops, I will be back in a wrestling ring again, being a professional wrestler. What, you say? Well, yes. Um, Pulling away the curtains, giving all the details. Uh, When I was uh, 16 years old in 1990, I was training to be a professional wrestler when I was in high school. And I went to a wrestling school run by a wrestler named Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. Trained with him for about uh, eight, nine months or so until some circumstances happened and the school eventually closed down. I ended up going, uh, actually staying in high school and finishing out there. And uh, that was about 1990, 91. And fast forward to about 95, I uh, got back into it again. Um, this time in my... Uh, I'd say early 20s, maybe early to mid 20s. Uh, yeah, early 20s at that time. And uh, done it for about three years and was trained, uh, actually about two, two and a half years. I uh, was trained uh, at that time by uh, Paul DeMarco and Oliver Stein, want, uh, Oliver John. Um, and uh, at that time, though, around 95, uh, 96, there really wasn't a independent scene say, as there is now in 2021. Um, that's really grown over the last 5-10 years. Uh, almost like territory days again. So, fast forward. Uh, anyway, so did that for um, 95 to about 99 or so, 2000. And um, kind of got out of it, got married, went back and did my life, all that stuff. So, so yeah, it was about 2001, 2002, I'd say. So, now about 20 years later... Decide to get back in and do it again. Uh, there's a uh, promotion here in my hometown that has a training academy, and uh, they work in conjunction with other groups that have shows, and they put on shows as well. So uh, I will be doing that as well, in addition to doing the weekly Franco Observer podcast and editing and eventually releasing A Lady Hyde and Emmanuel in Sin City. Um, probably going to be taking a slight break after these two films for filmmaking wise because I will be putting that energy into wrestling and also working on the creative side of wrestling, developing my character, my merch, my own promo videos and all that stuff. So be on the lookout for that and I will give those details and links for those that are interested in checking me out. So yeah, you will see uh, new creations on the horizon in 2022. So yeah, this has been a really great year. Uh, in reflection, I basically quit my job, got back into filmmaking, made two films, and returned to the ring after 20 years away, and getting ready to do a few matches. So this is an amazing world. So I always tell people, do not give up. Life is circular. And uh, stay true to yourself. Stay on your path. Stay in shape. Keep yourself good, and uh, time is circular. It all comes around again. So, speaking of coming around again, Emmanuel is a name that comes around again and again and again, even in my films. I have Emmanuel as well. There have been many Manuels, and this is a tender and perverse Emmanuel. French and Belgium, original theatrical title in country of origin, De Fresson sur les Pilles. Belgian theatrical, Shivers on the Skin, which is the original title. As you'll hear later, they just did the Emmanuel as a cash-in. But yeah, the original theatrical shooting title is uh, Shivers on the Skin. Um, Des Fressons sur le Pio, France. Alternative titles, Tender and Perverse Emmanuel, 
Tender et Perverse Emmanuel, the French theatrical retitling. And there's, of course, many other versions, as there always is. Sicarus, the Italian theatrical of other versions. Uh, Tiennan et Perverse Emmanuel. And there's also known in the UK video title as French Emmanuel. And let's see here. We also have El Ultimo Escalafrio, Spanish video, The Last Shudder. Of course, Tender Perverse Emmanuel, uh, Derisier Frissons, Perverse, and then just Perverse Emmanuel, and uh, Perverse Emmanuel, different spelling, of course, um, and then uh, Dernier Espetes. So that's something else. And then what else we have? Okay. And some unconfirmed titles, all that good jazz. All right. So the timeline on this initial shooting is at December 1973 to January 74. Further shooting, uh, extra footage to kind of fix what was still needed, was uh, around July of 74. So uh, about six months later, came back and, re- and uh, revisited and patched it all up. Uh, they got the uh, visa issued for it in Italy in June fifteenth, seventy seven, and uh, French visa issued on September twenty sixth of seventy seven, and Italy it finally played in March fourteenth of seventy eight, and France June twenty seventh of nineteen seventy nine. Uh, theatrical running time France for De Frissons sur le Piel is seventy seven minutes. Cast on this is uh Quite a few good uh, Jess Franco names that you'll recognize. Uh, Leading off, of course, Mr. Jack Taylor, star of many, many Jess Franco films, here as Dr. Michael Dreville, and uh, the very beautiful, mighty, and strong Alice Arno as Yvonne, the hotel manager. Uh, Norma Castell as Emmanuel Douglas, also called Barbara, and that's uh, Gordon's wife. And uh, Gordon is played by Alberto de Bales, who's also very good course, and a frequent contributor to the Franco universe. Uh, then we have Lena Romay as Greta Douglas, Gordon's sister, and uh, Roger Gimanez as the fair-haired cop with Bigotini, and we have uh, Antonio Fontaine, the Douglas's manservant, and Pierre Tellu plays Bishma, a hippie, and Monique Van Linden plays Miss Benson, Emmanuel's secretary, and of course Bigotini, a.k.a. Richard Kennedy, or as Richard Kennedy, um... And uh, that's also Richard D. Connect as well as alias when he's an editor. Uh, Inspector Cedomac's assistant is who he plays in this. Um, and then, of course, we have uh, Dan Van Housen returning as Inspector Cedomac. Antonio Mayans, of course, um, as Ray Trescari. And Ramon Ardid, Lena's husband at the time, as a police office clerk. And Matthias the Douglas's gardener. He has two roles in this, but uh, mostly the Douglas's gardener. You see him more. Uh, Veronica Lamera as Lola Yvonne's employee, and Suzanne Tebert, the fake Emmanuel. Uh, credits, director of courses, Mr. Jess Franco. Screenplay, Henri Bray de Postier, as Henri Bray de Postier. Adaptation, David Kuhn, courses, Jess Franco, and A.L. Marot. Uh, director of photography, Gerard Besson, and Stephen Rosenfeld, and Alain Hardy, Prince Very. Uh, editor, Yosin Pierrette Berer as Yossian Gilbert. Uh, Claude Gross, music by Daniel White. Uh, producers Jean Quater, Daniel Lesseur. Uh, production manager Richard Deconnect, which of course is Bigotini. And uh, continuity, Ilone Kusuneva. And assistant editor, Joel Stevens. So yeah, Bigotini is uh, the inspector assistant in this and the production manager behind the scenes. So I like about Franco, he always has people doing multiple roles in this um, the films. You know, behind the scenes and everything. All right. So, um, of course, um, Murderous Passions by Mr. Stephen Thrower is where we get all the information for the Jess Franco details. So, yeah, he has on this the review. His review is um, it's not as strong. Um, I actually really enjoyed it, though. I thought it was a good film. And uh, there, it seems like these type of films I always like. And he kind of poo-poos them a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I always, I always kind of dig them. Um, you know, but, um, yeah, so, all right. Um, the woozily unfocused tale of jealousy and betrayal resembles the films Umberto Lindsay was making in Italy in the late, teen, late 1960s and early 1970s with Halloween, um, 
Halloween, I'm sorry, <clears throat> with Hollywood immigrant Carol Baker, uh, Paranoia, Quiet Place, uh, Quiet Place, I'm sorry, God, slow down. Okay, uh, Paranoia, A Quiet Place to Kill, and Knife of Ice. It's a pity Franco couldn't afford a genuine talent like Baker because the actress he ended up with, Norma Castell, is the least expressive leading lady he'd work with to this point. But she's very beautiful and very photogenic. Um, Popping up out of nowhere in the mid-70s, she did nine films in four years, including a minor role as a reanimated corpse in Leon Kilmosky's Vengeance of the Zombies, and a featured role as a terrorized governess in Pedro Luis Ramirez's El Colegio de la Morete, before disappearing just as suddenly. She's simply miscast here, being too much spinterish in the appearance to make the erotic fixations of her husband, his best friend, his sister, and sundry secondary characters believable. Lena Romay is deliciously selfish and salacious in a supporting role sleeping with Emmanuel in order to steal her lover, and Dabales does all right with the part of the paranoid cuckold, but the film really needs a sympathetic lead. Castell just isn't right for the part. That's true. I mean, she isn't as strong of emotions and, um, I guess, believability, but I've seen worse in his film, so I, I think she, I think she holds her own good in this. Um, uh, as so often in Franco, for the pleasures of the film, we must turn to the mood. Um, she lives detached from the world, lost in some daydream, says Emmanuel's husband, echoing Gavin Esther's, Elster's description of his wife Madeline in Hitchcock's Vertigo. And it's precisely this dreamy detachment that the film is so good at portraying. The photography is saturated with excess sunlights, speckled and indistinct, dappled with refractions, and sometimes purposely out of focus. As a romantic thriller, tender and perverse Emmanuel is a shade too tepid to excite, but at least the feeling attributed to the heroine, a sensation of being trapped behind glass while life passes by, is well conveyed. The film drips with the kind of sleepy continental languor as a consequent, it's not without merit. A meandering time frame also helps set helps to set one's mind adrift flashbacks to Emmanuel's troubled past as well as Michael and Greta's memories of the heroine are strewn so casually into the storyline that you could easily miss the occasional explanatory voiceover. A fleeting that's how it all started, for instance. The sketchily elaborated time frame and tenuous narrative connections tell their own story. Bear in mind that this was a fragmented production chopped together from at least two, possibly three different shoots. Franco actually cast Ramon Ardid twice, the first time in a blink-and-you'll-miss-him role as a secretarial gopher to the police, and later more substantially as Emmanuel's simple-minded gardener, Matthias, Matthias, with whom Greta seduces in order to extract information. Notice that as Greta is played by Elena Romay, we've seen her seduce her own real-life husband here, a scenario also served up in the following years, Celestine, an all-around mate. There are some tried-and-true pleasures for lovers of Euro-trash melodrama. Obsessive love, troubled heroine, seedy affairs in expensive locations, but perhaps the reason the film has failed to gain much traction with fans is that it strays too close to the ever-present line in Franco's work between elegance and lethargy, with a preponderance of characters standing around, simping drinks, and discussing the plot. This is a hazy mongodon giallo for the dedicated Franco-file only. All right, cast and crew. The project was first announced with Yul Brynner and Raquel Welch in the leads, after which one to say that Alberto de Ballet's and Norman Castell struggled to live up to the expectations. Wow, so yeah, instead of Jack Taylor, we got uh, Yul Brynner in his little place and Raquel Welch as Emmanuel. And that would have been fucking awesome. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, I, yeah, wow, okay. Uh, music. Your perverted passion for music has stood between us from the day we first met. If you don't like the tra- 
Gucci, Michael Legrand, stylings of Daniel White's main theme for piano and strings, you'll be screaming for mercy by the end. It's poured all over the film like a rich sauce, concealing a meager portion of meat. That melody again, it's becoming an obsession, Dabali says to his wife in the opening scene. Who did you write it for? And what did they ever do to hurt you? He might have added. Elsewhere, a spacey, haunted ballroom piece for echoed piano makes its debut. It will reappear several times in Franco's output for Golden Films in the early to mid-1980s. Locations. Alicante, Galape, Villajosia. The tower-shaped hotel where Dravel stays resembles La Torre de Cabo Roig, as seen in Sadista Gorotica. But in fact, it's a different location. Connections. Pieces of music that obsess characters or provide clues to criminal activities are frequent in Franco. See La Morete Selva and Blues, um, Death Was the Blues, uh, Kiss Me Monster, Kiss Me Killer, uh, La Noche de los Sexo Albertos, and uh, Sangre Amazepitos. It's um, Blood on uh, what's that one? Blood on my yeah, Blood on my Zepitos. Um, let's see, what else we got? We live in an isolated house south of Manicoa, says Gordon Douglas, name-checking Franco's recently minted production company. Nice. A production, a police inspector called Cedomac echoes the name of one of Franco's favorite directors, Robert Cedomac. The Spiral Staircase. Ha ha ha. Uh, crisscross and The Suspect. The apparent fate of Emmanuel, smashed to death in a coastal motor accident, must surely have stemmed from Franco's continued trauma after the death of Soledad Miranda. Likewise, the story's major twist, in which she's actually still alive, kept imprisoned in the basement by her insanely jealous husband. Casting an older woman may have been an attempt to suppress the intensity of his feelings, but the somber mood enveloping the film must have had its nod, its roots in Franco's powerful sense of loss. All right, other versions. Okay, this is... Here we go. Actually, quite a bit here. All right, other versions. <clears throat> Franco's original cut was called De Frassons sur le Pew, Shivers on the Skin. And like its back-to-back -back partner, Kiss Me Killer, was very likely begun between late November 73 and January 74. On locations in Spain, between Orgelalta and Alicante, Antonio Mayans, who appears in La Noche de la Sion, Tender and Perverse Emmanuel, and Kiss Me Killer, those three shot back to back, remembers just one sustained period of filming with Franco at the time, so it seems very likely the two Euro scene productions were shot back to back in December. However, in his scenes with Lena Romay, Ramon Ardid can be seen reading issue 30 of the magazine. Cine Tele Review, published July 25th of 74, so the earliest this scattershot production could have been finished is August 74. Even then, it appears to have languished unreleased until 1977, about two years or so, um, by which time the market for drowsy Euro thrillers was on the wane. Not to be defeated, Euroscene redubbed and retitled it Tender and perverse Emmanuel, no doubt impressed by the way Italian sleaze Dynamo Joe D'Amato had co-opted the word Emmanuel for a lucrative series of sex films, beginning with Emmanuel et François Lessorine in 1975. D'Amato cannily misspelled the Emmanuel with one M to avoid lawsuits. Eurocene followed suit, but got a little bit carried away and dropped the last E in perverse as well, using the French spelling instead of the English. Emmanuel, with two M's, of course, was one of the international success stories of 1970s, and many a Eurotrash film sought to bask in its sexy afterglow, including my film. Franco's, however has to be one of the least erotic... Uh, Franco's, however, has to be one of the least erotic movies to grab a piece of the action. It's certainly the only one in which the eponymous sex goddess is a middle-aged concert pianist. Tender and perverse Emmanuel wilts beneath its misplaced moniker, but it has to be said that 
Shivers on the Skin was just as meaningless. The opening credit sequence of Tender and Perverse Emmanuel consists of a beautifully backlit shot of Lena Romay and Alice Arno standing nude in a bedroom doorway, smoking cigarettes and kissing. It's a goddamn beautiful shot. Um, Arno plays with Romay's breasts before going down on her. Shot with a deep orange glow, the scene is rendered all the more atmospheric by the incessant plumes of cigarette smoke swathing the shots. Interestingly, the scene is lifted from material shot during the making of The Hot Nights of Linda, in which Arno and Romay have a conversation in the doorway of the Raddock house. However, in no currently available version of The Hot Nights of Linda does the scene go on to include sexual touching, as it does in Tender and Perverse Emmanuel, which suggests that Franco snipped a piece from the already sizzling Hot Nights of Linda used it to spice up Tender and Perverse, further enhancing the sense that as many as five films around the time were being assembled contemporaneously. Contemporaneously. Ah, I can't even say that word. Do them all at the same time. Um, Hot Nights of Linda, Tender and Perverse Emmanuel, Kiss Me Killer, Female Vampire, and Los Glutines. In a film with only a few brief erotic interludes, the inclusion of a hardcore insert about five minutes from the end comes as a bit of a shock. It occurs during a flashback depicting Alberto de Bales making out with Emmanuel's double and treats us to a cutaway shot of a female hand masturbating a penis as it sticks out of a pair of trousers. I don't think anyone would seriously expect these sober and dignified Dabales to contribute such a moment himself. The erection obviously belongs to someone else, but what's hard to fathom is why anyone would bother to add the scene in the first place. It's the only such hardcore moment in an otherwise softer than softcore setting. It seems highly likely that the stray penis is all that survives from a full-on French hardcore version, which was then trimmed down again for export. Wow. Uh, Alan Petit comments, Originally, much more than a sexy... Originally, much more than a sexy cop story, the film had to undergo a lot of revisions before appearing on the X circuit in Paris. Almost 20 minutes of additional scenes came to replace 20 minutes of intrigue, making the film hard and totally incomprehensible. Sadly, this hardcore variant from Universum, German distributors of Jody Amato's Emmanuel films, and Les Films de Paulesse Royale, who gave us Les Roy's Les Mois Prato, 1978, and Bigotini's uh, Gessesur and Galeris, 1977. Well, I didn't know that. I know he's a filmmaker as well. It is currently impossible to see. Uh, the film was released in Italy in 1977 as Sicarius, a Latin word meaning assassin, hmm. which is also a name for a concealed dagger, fittingly. Uh, considering the hidden meaning, the hidden malice of Emmanuel's husband. A variant title, Fabrice de Cicero, appears to have derived from the Italian poster, which means, which reads, Febre de Cicero nelle film Sicarius, sexual fever in the film Sicarius. This poster seems to have confused everyone as the Italian press listings demonstrate the demonstrate. The film first played in Luca, Luca uh, Tuscany, instead as Febere de l'Assessor, then in Panero, near Turin, and Domodossola, Piedmont, advertised as Sicarus. It became Febre de Sesso, Sicarus, for dates in Florence, then revered then reverted to Febere de Cessio when it hit Rome. God, that's so stupid. I keep changing these all around. Uh, problematic. <clears throat> all right, I almost finished here. Monique Van Linden, makeup artiste on Franco's Exorcism, is sometimes credited here with playing Emmanuel's secretary, Miss Benson. However, this remains unconfirmed. The IMDb currently adds the following incorrect cast members. Uh, about four names, no big deal. All right, so that wraps up that part. So, yeah, um, if you want to get a hold of us, of course, we have a page on Instagram, 
The Franco Observer, and on Facebook, the Franco Observer Podcast. Find us there and add us. Um, please subscribe to the Franco Observer Podcast on all your favorite listening platforms. And um, we download, of course, every Wednesday morning as a new episode. So download, subscribe, and uh, rate. And please leave a good review if possible. It helps us with our platforms, lets us know that we exist and that we have a good fan base, which we do have a good fan base. We have uh, pretty solid numbers every month, so I thank you all, uh, international fans. I thank you extra, extra more. Thank you so much for letting me uh, talk about Just Franco now for 57, 58, close to 60 episodes now. Thank you for that, and I will keep putting these out. Um, so yeah, like I said, top of the top of the uh, episode I will be extra busy but my love for Franco will keep beating strong so Franco rules Franco will live on and so will I so I'll see you on the other side of the bumper music with Eric Whitwell and myself rever- reviewing, talking and enjoying that tender and perverse Emmanuel because tender and perverse is a nice two words adios Hey, buddies. Welcome once again to the Frank Observer Podcast. I am your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group owned by Oris Truly. And right now we're editing Lady Hyde and editing uh, Emmanuel in Sin City, and uh, which we have a connection with now. So, uh, And uh, my co-host uh, today and uh, co-host most times is my friend and actor in Emmanuel in Sin City, Mr. Eric Whitwell. Hey! And today we watched Tender and Perverse Emmanuel, which was a retitling of a film originally called Shivers on the Skin, which was originally shot in 73 and not released until, uh, or the re, the re, uh, the redubbed Pretend and Reverse Emmanuel version, uh, not until like, uh, uh, 79 or 77, somewhere around there, like four or five years later. Anyway, so, um, yeah, like I said, again, episode 57, film 57, and I'm going to go ahead and give the synopsis because um, this is one of those films that has a lot of information and a lot of, like, uh, characters you got to know and uh, things that change and switch. So there's, like, a big uh, double-sized synopsis. Like a John Holmes size synopsis. So, <laughs> all right. So let me go through this. All right. Uh, Jell's husband Gordon Douglas feels sure that his wife, the famous concert pianist Emmanuel Douglas, is sleeping around. What's more, he's convinced that a sonata she has composed, which she plays constantly, was written for a previous lover. Gordon visits Dr. Michael Draville, an old friend, and tells him that he believes Emmanuel is losing her mind. Michael agrees to come to the Douglas residence and examine her. The two men wait, but Emmanuel does not show up. The next morning, her body is discovered in a car wreck, not true, uh, on an isolated beach. When Michael inadvertently plays the piano melody Emmanuel wrote, their prior relationship with Michael comes to light. Gordon attacks Michael for a jealous fury. That night, the owner of a small hotel where Emmanuel and Michael used to meet before Emmanuel married Gordon is garroted with a loop of wire. Unbeknownst to Gordon, his sister Greta is now Michael's lover, and she also had a fling with Emmanuel. Greta and Michael talk to Miss Benson, Emmanuel's secretary, who tells them that Gordon had made his wife desperately unhappy with his oppressive jealousy. Miss Benton Miss Benson confirms that it drove Emmanuel into the arms of many other men. Michael is picked up by Inspector Sidomac, questioned about his relationship with the deceased, and arrested on suspicion of murder. Greta continues to investigate Emmanuel's disappearance with help from a hippie friend, Bishma, who also had a brief affair with Emmanuel. They head for Yvonne's bar, where Emmanuel used to go to pick up men, wow, <laughs> including a local criminal, Ray Treskery. 
Matthias, the Douglas's retarded gardener, our word again, tells Greta that on the day Emmanuel disappeared, he saw her with Triscari. Bishma tells the police that Triscari was Emmanuel's mistress. That's weird. As a result, they release Michael, ordering him not to get involved in the case any further. Michael ignores them and goes to Yvonne's bar to ask for her help. Before they can decide what to do, the police arrive. Yvonne hides Michael around the back of the bar while she distracts the police. But whilst hiding there, he's held at gunpoint by Trishari, who claims to have loved Emmanuel and says that he's not her killer. The two men get into a fight. Yvonne reappears and shoots Trishari, but he shoots her both. Or, but he shoots her back. Both of them die, but not before Yvonne implicates Trisari, saying that he was extorting money by blackmail and probably killed Emmanuel when she refused to pay up. The police accept her explanation and believe the case is solved. Gordon apologizes to Michael for suspecting him, and Michael returns home. Once everyone is left, Gordon descends to a secret cellar where he has Emmanuel under lock and key. He explains to her how he had taken a young woman resembling Emmanuel to a hotel, murdered her, dressed her up in Emmanuel's clothes, and driven her to a cliff in Emmanuel's car, having first mutilated her face to make her identification impossible. He now has Emmanuel all to himself and intends to punish her at his leisure for all the pain she had put him through. But he reckons without Greta, who had crept down to the cellar, and has a final twist to add to the tale. So, Eric, what you think of that? <laughs> Man, okay, well, I'm honestly surprised. I, I liked it. I was a little surprised, to be honest, that I, that I liked it as much as I did. Um, it was a little hard to follow. You just kind of jumped. You're like, okay, who's this? Who are they in connection? Is this yeah. a dream sequence? Is it a memory? Right. Um, and he kind of shoots it in different styles where you don't know if it's a memory or if it's like a guy's point of view and you don't know but in a memory and if you're thinking of something if if you think about it it would be from your point of view yeah like if you close your eyes and you know think of something it's from your eyes you don't think of it from like a sky looking down yeah. or from another angle it's always from your eyes because yeah. that's how you see so but sometimes you think oh so-and-so killed somebody but then you realize well no it was just you know like for instance the scene where jack taylor comes in and finds Emmanuel with uh, Gordon's sister. Lena. Yeah, Lena and her together. And then he kind of like freaks out and then he leaves. So then, in my opinion, it's like the POV shot of a killer and like, oh, maybe that's why he's the killer because of this. Yeah. But, but in term, it's just a memory, but it's from a POV, so you think it's something that it's not, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, and it, well, because like at first when the, the Gordon was explaining to Michael, the, the doctor... Right. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jack Taylor. Jack Taylor. Uh, he was explaining to him like, "Yeah, I have these dreams," and so the dreams were shot with like the fuzzy. Right. Right. In the like, beginning. Totally. When he was telling his dream, and then when it also went back to like memories or right. They also had the People same telling kind of the tales shot. of yeah. yeah. But it kept me interested enough to where I actually tried to figure out what was going on. Right. So instead of just being like, okay, I have no clue. I'm just going to watch it for what it is. Right. Just kind of go along and I'll yeah. kind of learn about it as it goes on or yeah, I'll just, fill in the missing spaces or whatever. Yeah. I'll just enjoy it for what it is, not right. think too hard on it. I actually spent energy trying to figure out what was going right. on. So yeah, no, I liked it. It was, yeah. I th- well, because in the book I- it says that she dies in a car wreck. And I asked you, I'm like, did we miss a scene of the car wreck? And we figured, and he's like, no, there's a scene where her face is in the in the rocks but yeah. I don't know if she jumped or or I mean her, her body was pushed off so her face was mutilated so they didn't know if it was her yeah. but you can still see half her face I don't know that yeah. sense. great special effects again though really yeah yeah no, had, had, had a decent <laughs> decent you know for a Franco film you know yeah and it, I don't know, it had like the it had the, the lines that made me laugh which was great like it had some yeah. like the dub lines that were just awesome um, and yeah so let's go with just certain people so far uh, yeah so Lena, Lena's really cool. She's the supporting character in this. Yeah. And uh, Eric really liked her glasses. Oh, she looks hot with yeah, those glasses yeah. on, man. Yeah, oh, yeah. my God. And she kept them on while naked? Yeah. That was uh, extremely hot. And then he has the gal die in a car wreck, like a uh, soul dot again, you know, but then doesn't yeah. really have the car wreck in there. But that's that's kind of weird, you know. They does that again with that. And then uh, – um, then him with the goatee, I thought it was kind of like Franco too, like Franco's guilt of like keeping Soledad's memory in a cell locked away, you know, her <laughs> locked away, that she's really not dead. Actually, that's, that's interesting. Soledad really didn't die in the car wreck. He kept 
reusing her over and over again or her vision in other women. Yeah. Any other women look like her in certain films after that. I didn't think about that. It's interesting about how he kept that, kept her memory alive in a cell. And then I guess, and then finally Lena's the one that came in to try to kill her memory, which is funny. <laughs> she had the gun. I know it was you. It was like, I know it was you, Soledad, and I'm going to kill you, you know. I'm now Uncle Jess's fucking whatever. You News. Know? Exactly. So, uh, but in the end, she, oh yeah, so anyway, too. And this is really similar to the previous film, The Hot Nights of Linda, which is similar to Eugenie, where in the end they go into the room and it's the guy in the keeping the memory alive, the dead wife, and here it's the the uh his wife in a cell, you know, yeah. and Lena comes in and in uh Hot Nights of Linda down in this, down into the room, sneaks down, finds the key or whatever, goes in, finds the bed and then the other one puts on the clothes, but in here she pulls the gun and kills the guy, the older person, her instead of her father or whatever, it's her brother in this. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. he, he married a freak, though, man. Emmanuel was a freak. Yeah, yeah. She's, Emmanuel got around. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. Yeah, and this gal, uh, it's like, I guess, I don't know how many films she with Franco uh, Norma Castell. And at first she comes on and she looks a little bit older and stuff, but then when she got naked and, and was going through the whole film, she was really hot and really good looking. Oh, and, God, super And hot. really, really, uh, I don't know, looking at the cover and stuff, it doesn't really do her justice. But, uh, yeah, I know, she was really good looking and really surprised she doesn't act really well though to be honest with you she's no. kind of emotionalist and kind of blank in this but uh but she's game with things and and you know yeah and she's down to show skin in this film so which is really cool well it's funny because like the the first thing that shows her and gordon like having sex it's just it's kind of laughing i was like all right let's watch our parents have sex yeah i know because she does look floor. like a soccer mom like with yeah. her hair and just and some of the outfits she's wearing yeah, yeah. she kind of makes herself look older than she is you know yeah but yeah, no, no, she's she's really good. And then, and so like it starts off to the first shot is I uh, read um, footage they had shot for the Hot Nights of Linda with Alice Arno and Lena Romay in the doorway, and this will lead us to the list. But uh, yeah, it, so it's basically like footage he shot for that film that he didn't use, or he shot part of a scene and then continued it through, and then only used the first say. 20% of the scene for Hot Nights of Linda and then just use the rest of the footage for this. And it's really beautiful with uh, <clears throat> the red light <clears throat> and like their bodies and the cigarette smoke and the doorway and the red light and all that stuff. But yeah. And really, really imagining shots and it says to, and Eric says, yeah, he goes for, you know, being really artistic and stuff. It doesn't make sense because their characters don't interact in the film. They don't have an affair. There's really no reason for them to have this scene except for it just looks really good and it's yeah. like a cool title sequence or whatever but you know other than that it doesn't connect the film which is true because which is a shame because it is really fucking great beautiful yeah all the different it's a beautiful scene yeah and, and you and see all two beautiful stuff. people i would love to have seen more of them getting together yeah yeah well, like way would have loved to have seen that so it is a shame but yeah well there's plenty of films so that show that. oh i know i know i know i'm just being gluttonous exactly. <laughs> give me more and speaking of bodies we'll go ahead to the list uh Woo! So yeah, we have uh, body of water. Yes, yes. Uh, sailboat. Well, we have boats in here. I don't know if we have yeah. sailboats, but we have boats. Boats in the background. Um, four and four palm trees. Yes. Uh, jungle sound effects. No. I don't think so. I was not this. To that yeah. Too, no. Number six, chained up person, Ooh. jailed up person. In the end, I mean, she's in the jail cell. She's not physically chained up, but she's jailed. She's yeah. She's held against her will. She's she's captive. She's ca- yeah. I say it's a fifty-fifty. It's like a push, you know. It is a push, it's technically yeah. because he has somebody captive, although she's physically not chained up, but she is. Yeah, I'm thinking more like bondage type stuff, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me think of any flashback sequence. No, yeah, I just, just, just that would oh. be the only thing that would count. Um, number seven. Okay, dance scenes on stage, stripping, no. no, but club scenes, dancing, yes, yes. Alice Arno's bar. There's a cool, and Alice Arno has a really fucking cool bar in there. She's uh once again plays like a powerful person she's like this woman that runs her own business she has this cool like and it's funny too her bar it's almost like her she sits apart from everybody else her bar is this cool like rock kind of a place that's in the middle of this other building where all the other walls look regular but her place is this old school looking castle looking thing and it stands out which is cool like her she stands out and she's this powerful bartender lady you know and and people try to extort her for money, and she like stands up for herself against Jack Taylor, and she's gonna like fight Jack Taylor and shit. <laughs> uh, 
he's like, I'm tired of this. And you people store me your money. I'm going to do this and that. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm so-and-so. I don't care what your name is. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, so we have that. Okay. Uh, club scenes, dancing. Music, yeah. Number nine, jazz music. Yes. Yes. While well, they're uh, dancing. Yeah. They're dancing to jazz. Daniel White. And, and we noticed a tune they used later. Oh, yeah. In the um, uh, Dietrich films, I think. I'm sure look and see who. I think his composer is different than that, though. But I'll look and see. Um, but, yeah. So some songs that we recognize that they use much later. Um, number 10, excessive zooms. Okay, zooms, the, but not excessive. I don't think not excessive, but in the the one the cut in scene that where they're basically masturbating each other, yeah, they had a, kind of some crazy like a lot of zoom in, like it's trying to get yeah. real close on it. But and, also too, that's almost like that wasn't Franco shot that. Oh, okay. You mean the guy's penis and the girl there? The yeah, 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 yeah. But he kept they kept zooming in on it. Yeah, and, well, that was from well, if it, if it just the hardcore footage that wasn't shot by Franco, that oh, okay. was like. Shop later, and they inserted it to make so, okay. an X-rated version and stuff. You okay. know? but the stuff of him and her going into the bed and yeah. then going out and into the bathtub is Franco. But the other hardcore stuff okay. isn't Franco. So, yeah. so if you're counting that, that doesn't count. But okay. yeah, yeah. But other than that, I mean, there was a some, but not too many. No, craziness. nothing too crazy. Um, out of focus shots, the dream stuff was foggy, but not really out of focus. Yeah. not too much. No, I, th- I think he's okay on this one. Not, not, yeah, not, not as much too, as usual. Nothing I really noticed. Uh, 12 mirror shots reflection shot yeah maybe one or two very small on this yeah one or two that maybe catch but nothing nothing major uh, 13 mind control theme no unless you can count obsession as mind control but well uh, making everyone think she's dead yeah people's thoughts of her yeah that's more yeah it's not yeah it's not like brainwashing yeah I'd say more like the, the the former not the latter yeah um but number fourteen, magic tongue scenes. Beam, 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 exactly. beam, beam. Oh damn! Yes, you got Lena's magic tongue licking up Alice in the beginning, and then you got uh, Alice in the tongue with her lapping up and down, lapping. Yeah, that's supposed to just those two. I think is the tongues. I don't think. The, yeah, as far as tongues go, Emmanuel. I don't think she really does tongue to her too much. No, Lena kind of grabs her boobs and stuff and kisses her, but doesn't really show too much. I mean, she shows her body, but she doesn't. I don't think Emmanuel was ever really aggressive sexually. It's almost like people were having sex with her. Yeah, she was you know? going out to these places to get to get laid and stuff. But that, you know, she wasn't really. But in the sex scenes, it's almost like the per- other person was like the one taking directing control, her. Yeah, moving her like around. Lena and stuff. or yeah, you know, the Morgan. Guard, yeah, the the guy in the cover. Yeah, yeah, the, the guy with the jeans jacket, which was I noticed the same outfits from uh, Countess Perverse. Uh, the husband and wife jeans jacket couple. He had that same jeans with the studded stuff on the back. Uh, so that's funny. He always reuses outfits and everything else, uh, including um, um, scenes and stories. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, so number fifteen, red light. Yes. Yes. Opening scene. Of course, we have uh, opening scene. We have the red light. We have the magic tongue. Right in the first scene, we have nudity. So yeah, right at the beginning. Oh yeah, the nudity too was like two seconds or one second. Yeah, you know? immediate. Yeah, it's immediate nudity count. If we haven't got to that yet. Uh, okay, so uh, no sheepskin, no masturbation. See items later. They were masturbating though. That kind of I'm that's true. They were there was masturbation. Yeah, there's true, but not yeah. with a C item. But I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they were smoking a cigarette when she reached up her hand. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking I smoke a cigarettes too. I think I like about this Jack Taylor's always smoking. There's a scene where he goes to visit Gordon and. And he's, like, smoking in his house. He goes, oh, uh, do you have an ashtray? And he's like, no, I don't have an ashtray. Yeah. He's kind of like, he goes, here, you can use this. You know, he just kind of gives him some little knick-knack that he has to ash in, which is funny. Yeah. Then later on, he's uh, in the car or something smoking. And he's like, or uh, Emmanuel, Emmanuel yeah. he asks, well, you, you stop smoking. And he goes, well, you take off your sunglasses for, you know, and then I'll stop smoking. <laughs> so it's funny, he's always smoking. Um. Uh, number 17, Mad Scientist, no. Uh, 18, Fish Tank Shots, no. no. 19, Talking Parrots or Animals, no. God, no. Uh, I know. Number 20, uh, in credits, yes or no, yes. yes. Uh, 21, Handwritten Notes or Signs of Any Kind, no. no. Uh, spiral Staircase, 22, no. Uh, inept Cops, yes. yes. 23, big time. Uh, yeah, they just believed anything. They're like, oh, yeah, you were here. You were here when the murder happened, so you did it. Yeah, and even there's a line of dialogue that goes, oh, like, 
the cops are the most idiots or yeah, they're totally true. inept. Or I was like, oh, yeah. that's totally part of the list. That's yeah. funny. He totally calls it, and then and plus they believed her as being dead, and she died in the wreck and all that yeah. stuff, and she's really alive. And yeah. Well, so. then Lena comes, or the bar owner comes out and says, like, oh, well, she was blah blah blah, and they're like, oh, okay, well now the case is solved. It's not you anymore. Yeah, yeah. And they just, just believe her without yeah. even checking evidence. No, or nothing. no, nothing. Yeah. Bigotini. Uh, let's see. Uh, and number 14, belly chains. No belly uh, chains in this, but I'm sure they'll be popping up soon. Um, so let me think any th- notes I have on this. I didn't want to take too many notes cause I was too busy watching and stuff, but yeah, but what's cool is like, uh, I'd made a note that he basically, this is one of the times where he talked about shooting five films simultaneously because basically he shot uh female vampire in autumn 73, uh, like September, October. And then, uh, uh, Night of the Skull was uh, November 73, and Hot Nights at Linda was November 73. And then a month later, uh, uh, Tenebra vs. Emmanuel, this one is a December 73, and Kiss Me Killer is December 73. So he shot all these five pretty much around the same time frame. Then he had to go back and shoot extra scenes later because, which I find that as well, you kind of shoot a bunch of stuff, and then as you're putting it together, you realize, oh, shit, I still need to shoot this. Yeah. I didn't shoot this, or I didn't realize it when I was writing it, or... You know, fuck, I, I don't have a scene explaining this, this, and this. If this and this doesn't show, then it kills all these other scenes. So you got to go back. And so he filmed stuff like about four or five months later on all these other things later while shooting other productions. He would pull things that he needed to shoot and stuff to kind of put them all together. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool to see how all these come together on the same time. You have a lot of the same actors and people popping up in different films, different roles, um, which is kind of cool to see. You see Jack Taylor kind of stepping in now that Howard Vernon's not around for these next series yeah. of stuff. And Jack Taylor actually learns how to kiss um, a woman on this. <laughs> yeah, he had a believable kiss. Lena kind of took charge, though. But he still went along with it. I was like, kind of watching him. And he said, oh, all right, Jack Taylor. Yeah, you know? He's moving his head the right way. And there's a lot of interesting mustaches in this, too. You have Jack Taylor's got a cool mustache. You got uh, Big Otini's got the big fucking, like, big old uh, barber mustache, the big black one. And then you have uh, that uh, Dan, let's see, what's his name? Um Dan von Helsen's got the weird kind of like droopy brown kind of wispy mustache. He has such a wide face. Yeah. His face is so wide. I know. He's a big head and the big cheekbones and stuff. And that little teeny mustache. Almost like a skeleton head or something with that. So yeah, Jack Taylor, Bigotini. You got him. You got um, Maya, or, um, Antonio Dabales with the goatee you know, deal. So it's funny. Everybody's got their own facial hair in this. Very few people. Oh, and then you have a guy with a guitar, which yeah. is the, the typical the character. Guy. Yeah. And then uh, you got the handicapped gardener, which is um, Antonio Mayans, which was uh, Lena Romay's husband at the time. So it's funny. There's a scene where she tries to seduce him. And it's funny. So we watched the dub version. And some of the dubbing is really funny. The guy who does uh, Jack Taylor's voice is pretty funny. And the guy who does um, 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 Ramon Ardent's voice is, is really funny, too. He does almost like a stereotypical cartoon. just kind of like... Yes, I don't know, ma'am. When, is he, when I saw him, you know, see, you know, it's kind of like, a, like I don't know, it's funny. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, yes, pendito, you know, kind of, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, but, yeah, it's, there's some good stuff in this film, and uh, so we went through all this. But, uh, yeah, and, and it's like a nice variety of mustaches, nice variety of na- fake names. Uh, Jess Frank also goes by J.P. Johnson in this. <laughs> and uh, But he's not on screen, so it's funny. He doesn't he doesn't show up on, on this one or... Uh, or Linda, or uh, Night of the Skull, but he is in uh, Female Vampire, so. Yeah. you know, Okay, so this is one thing I thought was kind of funny about this movie. Um, so there's one scene where, like, Lena, gorgeous, fucking wearing, like, a see-through black oh, yeah, body kind of thing, right? She's with Jack yeah. Taylor. Right. And Jack Taylor starts hitting her, like, slapping her. She's bam, she falls back oh, to yeah, the I bed. Oh, yeah, about that. Right, right. And then he, like, she's like, what would she say? Something like, oh, but... I always like loved you or something like that, something good. And he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry." And he picks her up and hugs her. Right. And he says, "You are the most adorable bitch I know." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, and slaps yeah. her. So he's all being tough with her, slapping her. But then he gets beat up by by uh, Gordon, right? By Emmanuel's husband. He starts beating him when he thinks he had oh, an yeah. affair. He's like, "Bap, bap, bap." And also the uh, criminal guy. Yeah. Ragotar or whatever his name is, or yeah, yeah, he starts, he beats him too. Both times, Jack Taylor, just Roy, um, <laughs> Roy Tashari, yeah, the guy yeah. with the gun, yeah, he hits a couple times before they come in, and yeah, it's true, yeah. So it's like he's been all tough with Lena, but then 
Well, the tables get, yeah, tables get turned on him real quick. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and he yeah. just runs away. Yeah, always funny. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I know it's funny. And then I noticed uh, uh, Bigotini in here is almost playing the Jess Franco roles, the police captain, the kind of the fake authoritative figures, yeah. kind of comicity and stuff, you know. But uh, what what other notes did you have? Or oh, I just it was just one more line that, that totally cracked me up was uh, when uh, Morgan goes down to confront Manuel and tell her all about how. She's uh, basically everyone thinks she's dead and he could do whatever. And he said to her, he goes, your perverted passion for music stood between us. Yeah. <laughs> she's a piano player. Man. Yeah. Your perverted passion. <laughs> she's a piano player. Well, for but music, also, but also to sex. But I think his, <laughs> but now that I read that. I think he meant by that is your perverted passion, like of writing that tune for another lover is what drove me to like okay because he thought that tune that she did yeah for, okay i can for, see that yeah, yeah, yeah. you prefer to passion that blah blah blah, blah no nah, no nah, it's her horny level dude let's just be honest it's but, it's the fact that she she yeah well it's funny though she had sex with all these men but he's mad because she wrote a song about somebody else yeah and she never even says the guy's name in the song it's just a uh, some tune is like Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah yeah and she's like oh it's for him you fucking well i guess because that shows intimacy you know maybe he's like cool like it's like yeah you know, it doesn't matter the amount of dick she sucked. It's about that tune of just you know that tender moment. It's the dick that she thinks about. Exactly, <laughs> she has to play every night in front of people. <laughs> yeah, it's funny too. She, uh, I was, I was about that too. They actually got a good sized audience to watch her quote unquote perform. You know, yeah. uh, the first scene where she does it in, and you had brought up maybe they had some other person they're performing, and they just had the crowd or brought her in or whatever, or they just got all the locals to come in and sit in there and clap and get up and then the scene's over, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he has a good amount of people. And then later on, uh, with the flashback sequence where you see all of them watching her play and there's a good size audience in there, like, like a nice concert hall place too. Yeah. She's there on stage. You see the audience and they're above sitting, watching and stuff. So some, some nice production value for being as small as this yeah. film is oh, in, yeah. in, in, in production and such, you know, compared to his previous films like we watched before, you know? Yeah. But yeah, and there's that, that, that cool rock on. I think it's uh, Alicante. I think, let me see where this was filmed. But uh, yeah, I recognize that. It's used in quite a few other films, um, locations. Um, yeah, Alicante, uh, Calipé, Villaosia, uh the tower-shaped hotel where DeVille stays resembles the Torre de Cabo Ring as seen in Senes Erotica, but it's a different location. But yeah, that's the uh, Alicante. That's the big giant rock on the island that you see in yeah. Bloody Beautiful. Moon and yeah you've seen a bunch of his films he uses it God, I don't know, at least 10 or 12 times that I know of at least but but uh, yeah no, and, and, and it's uh, shot really well uh, there's a lot of cool beautiful light scenes there's some cool stuff I'm sorry, what, I was just thinking of the rock I was picturing the rock but then I was also picturing Emmanuel's breasts and how similar they were yeah like well, just <laughs> well, no she had natural boobs. Though. She didn't oh yeah, have absolutely. Natural. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huge. Yeah, yeah. Huge. Yeah, I know it's funny, but uh, yeah, no. There's uh, there's there's some nice stuff in there. Oh yeah, there's actually a scene you forgot to talk about. So tell us about because um, we always talk about how Lena Romay's a trooper. She'll run barefooted. She'll jump in bed with anybody. She'll kiss old men, young men, whoever. She'll fuck whatever. Tell us about her uh, mode of transportation in this. How she rides in the back of that convertible. Oh, that was hilarious. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Forgot about that. that was oh, that's things. right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So they, they jump into this convertible and she gets in the back seat, but instead of sitting on the back seat. Well, it's only a two seater, I think. No, because her feet are like in like a. Well, it could be here. I think. I think she was sitting on the thing, and her feet was between the two drivers. Okay, there might, like, been a, there might have been a backseat, but anyway, yeah, yeah. But she just sits on the back of the car, like, right? The very yeah, yeah, like on the trunk, oh, yeah, like, yeah, with her legs inside the car, like sitting up where she's well above, like the yeah. where the this roof would be, like kind of like if someone's in a parade, if someone's going. That's to parade why I and think it was a, like a two seater because the person sits on the on the fucking where okay. not supposed to sit, like the. Like you're saying, the, the trunk yeah. where it goes down, she kind of sit on top and like where her shoulders are down, yeah. you know. But yeah, like a parade, like she's in a parade, like and she's yeah. waving at audience. That's how she was sitting on this vehicle, and then they just take off driving. I'm like, fuck, dude, she's gonna fall off. That was daytime. It's daytime, yeah. And all of a sudden they pull up at nighttime in this place, and like she's still sitting in the back the same way. I'm like, she rode the whole way like that from day to night, like with bugs hitting her face and the wind just whipping at her, like. And then what does she do to her after that? She 
goes to have sex with Evangelion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. He goes to have sex with Evangelion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because he's funny. All the bugs in her teeth. And yeah, she's, going <laughs> she's all wind whipped. Like, her hair looked nice considering yeah. that it's been blowing in the wind all day. Yeah. While sitting on the back trunk of his car that she luckily did not fall off of. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that shows that Emmanuel, or shows that uh, Lena's fucking extra cool again. Yeah. You know? And it, that's an early thing by her, too, so. And Jack is definitely not the guitar player type because he went in there and Lena and Emmanuel are oh, going yeah. at it. And they're like, come join us. Three is even better. And well, he just goes, ooh, and leaves. <laughs> He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, but also, too, but see, and it's funny, too, because that woman, Emmanuel, was his best friend's wife. Yeah. And Lena is his best friend's sister. Yeah. And he had already had an affair with his best friend's wife before he was, before they were married. And he has a affair pre- presently with Lena. Lena. So I think in his brain, he saw his girlfriend cheating on him with his ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Even though she says, yeah, three is better. Yeah. Jump, join in. And hold, like, Jesus, why wouldn't you? you know? Yeah, like, okay. But then we we just, could break up yeah. after. So then that made me think like he was a killer because he didn't want to do anything. You're like, what the fuck? But then you realize it was Jack Taylor, too. Maybe he's like, oh, I don't want to phone to take my shirt off and be with these two girls in the scene. <laughs> you know? But... Uh, <laughs> But, but uh, Jack Taylor does have cool hair later on. Remember his hair sticks up like funny. Oh, yeah. Something, yeah, or like after he gets beat up or his hair is all fucking jacked up and shit. <laughs> jacked up. <laughs> yeah. He's such like a cartoon looking character. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. He's like, almost like a Wallace and Gromit character to me sometimes. And then the scene where he's watching those two, we're laughing and saying, oh, he's jacking off. So, yeah. Uh, Jack, his, Jack Taylor with his jacked up hair jacking off. You know? Where the fuck was he coming up to that door anyways? He drove off. He dropped yeah, he drove him off, off and he drove away. Yeah. And he's then, a creeper. Yeah, because he backs out of the scene. Yeah. And so probably I would guess like maybe a half hour went by or whatever. So he got naked and this and that and stuff. And then he's like, so I don't know. Yeah. And then I wonder why he would sit there and come back to see, like check him out. Because it wasn't like they were expecting him later. No. You know? Pussleen was totally open to it, too. He yeah. dropped them off. He yeah. knew they were there together. Like, yeah. He knew. Yeah. I dropped you off. Oh, yeah, I wonder what yeah, they're, they're doing visit. now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, not each other's hair. I don't yeah. know what they are, but different, you know. Yeah, and then he goes back and visits fucking that guy. So I don't know. It's funny, but. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's cool. It was like I was part of me of like a Woody Allen kind of a, like a really one of his serious movies from the 70s, like exteriors or something where it's like all this drama and shit. Yeah. And it's also very European, too, of the like kind of people killing each other and they're still the money and stuff type deal with more the house of this and the house of that and stuff too. So, I mean that, that part, it's kind of melodramatic. It's kind of like a soap opera, you know, yeah, very Somewhat, much so. Very like much a, so yeah. With some of the heavier stuff and then a little bit of crime, like the, 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 the Avenger of Soho, you know, um, where it's, you think something's happening and the person, another thing where a person faked the death too, like yeah. they faked her death. Another thing, faking the death. You know, he's done that plot a few times now. But uh, yeah, no, it's. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, yeah, I liked it. The Murder's Passion books. It seems like Stephen Thrower didn't really dig it as much. Um, but yeah, it seems like a few of his f- films that he doesn't dig as much. I ended up kind of liking. So as I was reading this, thinking, oh, I wonder if I'm actually going to kind of like this. And sure enough, I did. It's not one of my favorites, but it was definitely a little better than I thought it was going to be. And uh, it's yeah. definitely something worth watching. And uh, definitely, it's uh, cool to watch. There's a lot of good stuff to it, and it's definitely. A Jess Franco style film, and yeah. it's got it's got all of his touches and stuff to it, and, and uh, definitely definitely cool to see. So, yeah, I dug it. I, I liked yeah. it. Like yeah. I say, it, it it confused me, but it kept me interested enough where I was trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, I'm not going to be smooth this week. I'm just going to say, you do get it. us at uh, the Franco Observer at Yahoo.com. Uh, you can please download the show. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends. Uh, not smooth this week. I'm chunky. No. Uh, uh, please subscribe. Tell all your friends. Download all that shebang. Uh, you can find us on Facebook uh, on Frank Observer Podcast. You can find us on Instagram Frank Observer Podcast. Uh, you can be one of the cool people like uh, Ragnar and like other people that listen to our show and write us and tell us all cool stuff. Uh, be like them and subscribe and uh, all that good shit. So. Uh, I think it's going to wrap it up this week on Tender and Perverse Emmanuel. Oh, yeah. So one last thing. Fear and Desire. You you had said it was... I think it's fear. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it was fear. And then I thought it was desire because he desired her so much. But the fear of her, a fear of losing her yeah. was obsession and desire is obsession, but fear is also obsession. So, yeah, it's almost like all the two sides of the coin. But, yeah, I think it's probably desire is, is probably... Or, no, I mean... 
You said fear, right? I said fear. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, 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 probably fear. Yeah, because it's the fear of everything. But that drove everything. That drove. Yeah. It was her fear of being captive in a lot of ways too. You know that. And it was his fear run. of losing her, but it was also his fear of her desire. Yeah. Of other men, you know. Yeah, and women. Yeah, and all the things in between, you know. But uh, she has great know. tits, though. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, yeah, she didn't <laughs> jump on a few more Franco films and see. <laughs> I don't think she's in the next one. No, Alisar and Alina Romay. Yeah, okay. So you have to ch- see see her thing. I'm sure. Alice, I'm sure Eric's going to write her name down. Like, um, uh, I forget some names now. But <laughs> <laughs> what was that chicken? Uh, nah, anyway, I'm going to sit there and stumble my words. But, <laughs> I'll think of it a few minutes after we cut, of course. Yeah. So. yeah. All righty. Well, uh, we'll be looking them back up. Exactly. Beautiful nights. Adios. Adios.